This afternoon I preach you the word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 4. You can find that on page 520 in the Book of Praise. This confession following the structure of Romans, the Gospels revealed in its three parts. First, consideration of our sins and misery, and then our deliverance, and then our thankfulness. Lord's Day 4 explains what the Bible teaches and what we confess about the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And the church confesses, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? No, for God so created man that he was able to do it, but man at the instigation of the devil in deliberate disobedience robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Galatians 3, verse 10. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in the morning service when we looked at our Lord Jesus, what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw that our Lord Jesus identified that the temptation that people face is to doubt God's wisdom and to resist his justice. Our sinful nature wants to avoid the consequences of our sins. And so arise questions like those we read in Lord's Day 4, questions that try to question the justice of God and whether or not there's an easier way. Does God not do man an injustice? Will God not just allow disobedience and apostasy to go punish? Isn't God merciful? Well, thankfully, as our Lord Jesus also announced, as we saw this morning, he was not tempted to try and escape the burden of God's wrath. He continued on right under that pressure of God's anger against sin. And he bore on his back everything that our original sins and our actual sins deserve, just like we confess in Lord's Day 4, even though he himself was innocent of all sins. And today we will consider what that curse that God placed on Christ's shoulders all included, so that we can understand without a doubt that what he has done, no other creature could do, that we simply cannot live without Jesus Christ. And I preach you this gospel under the theme from Galatians, Christ came to redeem sinners from God's curse, and we can't live without him. 
see the nature, the extent, and the bearers of the curse that's revealed in Scripture. Well, the Bible is very clear that God is holy. There is no sin in God, and there can be no sin in Him, and He tolerates no sin in His presence, like we sang together in Hymn 5. The eternal Trinity, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lacks nothing and needs nothing, and his perfections shine forth to all for whom he has revealed himself. In his infinite wisdom, his sovereignty, his love, and justice, he decided to create the universe and the people within it that we are a part of to the end that man might serve his creator. He made the very best for his creatures because he wants the very best for his creatures. It's his will that we might live together with him in eternal blessedness, in an everlasting covenant in which the Lord Yahweh names himself as our God and he declares to us, his creatures, that we are his people. He is holy and will accept nothing less than purity in this relationship. For sin is like a cancer or a rust that eats away at his glory. It is because God is holy in his glory and outpouring in his love that it is necessary to rid the universe of everything that was stained by sin in the fall into sin. To place all that sin in a place of everlasting punishment. In Psalm 125, and we'll sing that too, it, it shows that comparison. When sinners to their doom are driven, your peace be given. God will not allow disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished because he is holy and a personal creator. Disobedience, which is rebelling against his will with an uplifted hand, and apostasy, which is the, the turning away from God, are direct attacks on his holy name and on his works, the works of his hands. And one of God's attributes, one of his perfections, is his anger. It is a protecting perfection that serves as a, a wall and a barrier protecting his love, just like the cherubim was protecting the tree of life. God hates whatever ruins the good of his creation with a holy and a righteous anger because he loves the works of his hands so much. He is angry with the original sin that Adam and Eve committed when they deliberately disobeyed the commandment that brought life in the way of love for God. He is angry with the fall, not because it took anything away from him, but because of the harm it causes to his creatures who belong to him. He's angry with the fall since the guilt of the fall remains on all Adam and Eve's descendants, even from the moment that we are conceived. He hates the original sin, the guilt that resulted in lovely people that he had made to serve him in peace and glory forever into Sinners robbed of the gifts that he had given. God is angry, we confess, with our actual sins 
Those are the ongoing sins that people commit after they have been conceived and born in sin. He hates the pollution of these actual sins and how our disobedience deprives the world of all the good things that are written in the book of the law. If you have ever felt anger at the cruel person who wickedly harms the body and soul of another person by bullying or abuse, you can understand that God's holy anger is not an indication of weakness or failure on his part, but rather it is an indication of his love and his strength. God's holy love and his justice requires, like we read in Galatians 3, that whoever does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, whoever does not love God and love his neighbor with all his heart and soul must be cursed. And that word curse, it's a word that talks about a, a, a separation. A curse is a decision to set people aside for punishment. It's a condemnation that separates the cursed person from the one who declares the, per, the curse and also his kingdom of righteousness. The curse was necessary because God is holy. It's also extensive because of who he is, because of his most high majesty. The greatness and the extension of God's blessings for his creature. If you think of all that God has done as he made the universe for us and, and all that he continues to do in his providential care, that the extent of all his blessings, both in this life and, and really for forever, that flows from his infinite, his unlimited majesty as our creator. We confess that the Lord's majesty is most high. The word majesty refers to his royal power, to his dignity and his beauty. And when we confess that it is most high, that means there is nothing that is greater or more powerful or more wonderful than the creator of heaven and earth. And God's most high majesty points us to a blessedness in every part of our existence that can never be taken away by anyone, especially when he remember that we remember that he wants us to experience the, the fullness of his infinite and majestic love. That's what he created us to enjoy. And it's this infinite most high majesty which he exercises for the sake of his church combined with his holiness that's what makes sin any sin against him the most serious of all offenses in the same way that slapping a king brings a greater punishment than slapping a rowdy customer in your restaurant so sin against the most high majesty of god brings with it the most severe punishment that is possible, complete exclusion from the eternal kingdom of God. We confess that the curse is something that affects our bodies and our souls, every part of our being, both now and eternally. That's the description of that most severe punishment for sin against the most high majesty of God. And when a person is 
under the curse remain when they are still under the curse. Their, their life on earth is full of misery. People who are still under that curse now may have money and they may have comforts, but they never find satisfaction in their lives. People who are still under the curse may have family and friends, but the constant knowledge that they are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness that keeps them in fear of death. Think of the curses as they're described for us at the end of Leviticus or the end of Deuteronomy. You'll, you'll try everything, but nothing will succeed. You live in, in fear. Peace, contentment, and joy are overshadowed by our own envy and our selfishness and, and pride that reigns, dominates in the lives of those who are still under the curse of God. The effects of the fall on our bodies leads to self-pity and anger and frustration for those who are also feeling the heavy hand of God's anger upon them. The curse leads people to be wicked to others, which in turn has serious consequences already in this life. That is the darkness that we see around us. Well, the Lord tells us that this curse will continue to be experienced as the wrath of God against the rebellion of those who sin against him. That will continue even after they die away from God and under his everlasting wrath, moth and rust continue to destroy. There will continue to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the second death, we read of in Revelation, that violent oppression and slavery to addictions and bodily deterioration and ongoing betrayal and lies and brokenness do not cease. It's a horrible thing to read about. It's terrifying. It's a frightening thing to preach about. But no one in heaven or on earth can call what the Lord has revealed about the curse. No one can call it an injustice. People who hate God in this life will get what they want, which is exactly what they deserve for sinning against the most high majesty of the infinite, eternal almighty, good, and gracious creator of heaven and earth who continues to call us out of the darkness into his light in the revelation of creation and in the call of the preaching of the gospel. And the good news is that although many will not heed the call and will suffer and the warning is pronounced, the gospel is you don't need to spend eternity under the curse. We'll see that in our final point. The bearers of the curse, those who are bearing the weight of that. Well, after the fall into sin, and we go to Genesis 3 now, we see the Lord God cursed the serpent above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Although the serpent as an animal may have changed as a result of the curse, the Lord God was first of all at that moment cursing Satan, that fallen angel who led the rebellion against the Lord. The curse of God is upon Satan. He is a bearer of God's curse. He and all his dominions are thrown from heaven and 
daily expect the horrible torments of their gloomy dungeons. Psalm 91 fulfilled. The Lord also cursed the ground that he had made good for Adam and Eve to serve him upon. The, the, the ground is also a bearer of the curse and thorns and thistles would rise up. It takes hard labor to get what we need from the land. Not only the serpent, but also other animals would see the consequences. Although we are not told what they were like before the fall, judging by Eve's lack of surprise that a snake was talking to her, it is possible they lost their ability to talk. And since death is a result of the fall, it would appear that also that the curse made animals violent against one another. We see the description of heaven in Isaiah that's reversed. Animals once fierce will be harmless. All animals would also need to be killed so that their skins could be used as clothing. The created world is also bearing the curse upon it. And we read in Romans 8, it is groaning under its weight. The Lord also told Adam and Eve that they too would bear the consequences of the curse of God and his wrath against their disobedience. Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden and were no longer permitted to eat of the tree of life lest they remain cursed forever. They would be able to continue their mandate, but now it would be more difficult, not only because growing things would be difficult, but because there would be pain and childbearing and competition in their relationships to one another. But even worse, they would die. And this death included physical death at some point with the illnesses preceding it, but also a spiritual death that would give them the inward desire to resist God and even fight against him leading to that everlasting punishment of body and soul. Adam and Eve bore the curse together with all their descendants who were conceived and born in sin. Every human being is under the curse of God and every human being remains under that curse together with Satan and his dominions unless they believe in the wonderful gospel of Good Friday. The darkness, the curse that we still see all around us. In that darkness, light has come. You see, if anything depended on us, the declaration that God's, of God's curse that rests on everyone who sins against God should be the end of the sermon description of the world without God's intervention. It's a description of the world without the Son of God. Because of our sins against the most high majesty of our holy God, we deserve to go home burdened by guilt, daily expecting our eternal torment. But the good news is that we don't need to go home with that message in our minds. The good news is there's one more thing to say, and it's really the most important thing of all. It's the gospel of Good Friday that we may rejoice together about later this week. You see, 
the Lord revealed that there is one more person who bore the curse, and his name is Jesus Christ, the curse giver, that holy, infinite, almighty, majestic creator of heaven and earth did not just leave everyone in the condemnation they deserve. Rather, in an unfathomable act of self-sacrificial love and humility in which the holy, eternal creator entered his own creation through a miraculous incarnation, our awesome, gracious, infinite, eternal God took on our human nature to place himself under his own curse so that he could bear it in the place of everyone who trusts in him to take care of this for them. The Son of God we saw this morning took the cup of God's wrath that sinners deserve to drink and he drank it in the place of everyone who puts their faith in him. Dear believer, we go home knowing that Jesus Christ took the curse which should be on our backs and he placed it on his own back. Christ Jesus satisfied God's wrath for believers so that Christians never have to suffer God's wrath again. That's how we live each day, isn't it? We wake up, we know that. We know that, and we rejoice in that. And so if the curse is dealt with for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, why do Christians keep talking about the curse? Why is Lord's Day 4 still in the catechism? Why do we keep commemorating Christ's death on Good Friday and in the Lord's Supper celebration? Do you know why? It's because God's work is not finished yet. Because there are people walking around us who are still under the curse. Some do not understand who God is. Others do not think that they are sinful and are convinced that they don't need a Savior. And many people are, are not aware of the imminent eternal punishment that is coming if they do not repent. But God has shown it to us. We know. Do we? The second reason we keep commemorating is that often we fall into an ignorance. We fall into a complacency. And we see that this ignorance isn't just something we find in the so-called outside outside the covenant community. Many children of believers can be misled by hypocrites and quickly lose a sense of, of awe concerning God's holiness, mumbling out hymn five without understanding that the very words coming out of our mouths we lose a sense of the awe of God's holiness because of the, the, the absolute depravity of so much entertainment that, that fills our lives. We go through the motions sometimes without a clear sense of, of the joy that Christ Jesus has obtained for us that we may enjoy every day, we may experience every day. We together with the next generation and the generation after, and, and so on. We need 
constant reminders of the consequences of giving in to the temptation that our Lord Jesus warned about and the temptation to turn away from God and his son Jesus Christ. The temptation to stop confessing our sins and fighting against them. We need the reminder to continue to flee to Jesus Christ, to see the open arms of the one who gave his son to free us from the curse we deserve. And that's why we commemorate Christ's death. Also because we need the comfort. We need the assurance that his work gives us whenever we suffer the consequences of the fall into sin. We need that reminder when we become very frustrated with ourselves. We, we're fighting against a sin. It keeps coming. And Who are we? We feel pretty, we feel very bad for our weakness maybe even afraid because of our weakness. There's much suffering in this world because the world has not been cleansed of evildoers, because we are still living in the old heavens and the old earth where death and illness and human weakness hinder our ability to worship God with all our being. The effects of the fall into sin can be devastating, and the only way through the suffering is to keep remembering to keep gathering on Good Friday, to remember that Christ bore the curse, so all our suffering is temporary. And we suffer in the certainty of everlasting life in the glory of heaven. So it is a prayer that we and, and all the world may hear and know God is holy, and whoever remains in their sins against his most high majesty will be punished with the most severe punishment that Jesus bore when he was on earth and that we remember on Good Friday. And may the world also hear and know, that we'll see more as we continue to look at this confession, Christ bore that curse for everyone who believes in him. Yes, we, gathered together, may know that we can escape the wrath of God and again be received into favor. And for those who know what the Bible teaches about this curse, this is the best news you will ever hear. You cannot live without Jesus Christ, and we are in him by God's grace. Amen.